to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Jesus, we're so grateful for this time together, for this moment that we get to engage you and one another in this sacred space. I thank you for the time where we, we get to lift up our voice and sing and to connect our hearts and our emotions, our mind, our spirit to you, God. Would you speak to us now through your word? God, just breathe your life into us. I thank you for how faithful you are. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we've been in a series called Proof of Life, and we've been taking a look at what are some of the vital signs that inform us that we are spiritually alive. It's, it's, it's easy to know how to test if you're alive physically, right? But it's harder when you ask the question, how alive are you? If you were to answer that question today, how would you answer that? And what data would you use to inform you if you were alive or not? What I love about this book called 1 John is that John gives us these proofs of life, these metrics that allow us to test and see how alive am I. And we, we've gone through three of them already. We talked about the light test and how uh, when we look at how much our life is lived in the open, lived in the light, lived in the space where we're confessional and we're willing to share our struggles and the hardships and the things that are true for us, that it's an indicator that we are coming alive or at least stepping into life. We, we talked about the passion test and how when we redirect our energies towards those things that move us towards wholeness and health and towards beauty that we find ourselves moving towards life. And then last week, we talked about this test called the truth test. How willing are we to submit our lives to the truth that the universe is actually founded on that's found in the scriptures? And when we find ourselves engaging truth as if it was, well, actually true, that, that we might actually start moving ourselves towards life. But when we start treating it like an opinion or a truth among many truths, uh, we find ourselves starting to wither, starting to die, starting to find ourselves wondering, where is the life that is so elusive at times to us? And so today we're going to talk about this fourth proof of life. And it's one that's, I think, one of the most important and one of the most ambiguous in all of the series that we're going through. It's found in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, and John says this to us, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does not, whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so we're going to talk about this proof that we're going to call the world test today. This really is less about what we do, and it's more about the flow that we find ourselves in. And so today, I really want you to consider where your life is flowing and what moves your life and what flow you find yourself in. I spent a considerable amount of my time in college in Tokyo. And one of the things that's so awesome about Tokyo, there's many awesome things about Tokyo, but uh, one of the things that was so awesome as a 21-year-old uh, living in Tokyo is the fact that they drove on the opposite side of the road for us and their steering wheels are on the opposite side of the car. 
And I was always fascinated by that. I was always thinking, man, I wonder what it's like to drive like that. I wonder what it's like to grow up like that because it was always very horrifying when I was in the driver's seat because I constantly thought we were about to get into an accident until I paused and realized, oh, no, no, we're okay. Like we're, 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 we're actually where we need to be. And I remember one day, one of the, the leaders that we were working with there in Tokyo said, hey, would you like to drive? And I knew this was gonna be a bad idea, but I said, yes, anyways. Because I get in the car, and we're, we're kind of in a secluded area, and I, as I get into the car on the right side of the car, and I get in, and the passenger's sitting over here, and, and I start to pull out, I, I realized that I was instantly in the wrong lane. That, that, that all of my instincts said, stay in the right hand, stay in the right hand, and I had to constantly pull myself over into the left-hand lane, and it felt so awkward. Not only did it feel awkward to be in the, the, left, the right-hand side of the car, but then it felt awkward to be in the left lane over here driving forward as cars were whizzing by me this way. And I found myself constantly wanting to pull into the wrong lane. And I remember the, the person who was with me was so gracious and so generous to me, but I could tell that they were also sweating and also very fearful as I was constantly making wrong turns and getting into wrong lanes and found myself in near accidents many, many times. And the thing that I noticed is that every single one of my instincts did not work in that situation. That every instinct that told me, move over into the other lane, or don't get too close to this because this is not how you're supposed to be driving, or when you make this turn, make sure you're in the left-hand lane, not the right-hand lane. Every instinct that I found myself in did not work in that moment because I had trained myself to move in a particular way. I had trained myself to flow in a very particular way, and suddenly none of the instincts that I had trained myself in from the, from the day I was 15 years old getting my learner's permit until that moment, every single instinct that I used in driving was pointless in that moment. I found myself completely going against what was natural to me in that moment. See, when we talk about Jesus, I think that so many of us have this idea that when we connect to Jesus, that we just add Jesus on as like another additive to our life. Like we have our political beliefs that inform us about the world. And so we look out at the world and we're like, well, I have these. These are concrete. These are set in stone. They don't change. Then we have like our cultural norms around us. Well, this is what society says is true and right and good and beautiful. This is what's acceptable. This is what's not acceptable. This is what you can say. This is what you can't say. And so we have our cultural norms. We have our, our family history and culture and upbringing that is a part of our natural instinctual flow as well. We have our opinions that move us and flow us. And then, and then I think when we have this idea that when we come to Jesus, we have all of this and then we add a little Jesus on the side, right? Like I have all this and then I'm gonna add some Jesus over here and he can inform me of some things over here as long as they don't click conflict with the political beliefs and with my personal opinions and with my family history and with cultural norms and what's socially successful. As long as it doesn't conflict with that, I'm totally good with having him there in the middle of this. Now here's the thing, you can attempt to follow Jesus like that, but it will just render it ineffective. It will actually be really ineffective if that's how you interact with Jesus. It's, it's the same way like when we take Jesus in and we attempt to make him a Democrat or Republican. It just doesn't work. It never works. It's like trying to put a round peg into a square hole. It just, you can't do it. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It doesn't operate in any way, shape, or form like that. See, following Jesus actually moves your life to a radically different state. It actually moves your life to a radically different space in that. And when you find yourself following Jesus, you will quickly find yourself going against the flow. You will find yourself 
changing your flow state and moving into a whole different dimension of how you live, how you engage your energy, how you view things, how you move in the world around you. It is a radical deviation from what we would call normal in the middle of this. And it informs everything. It informs how we think, it informs how we feel, it informs how we live, it informs the decisions that we make, it informs the directions that we take, it informs the attitudes that we take on, it informs what we decide to cast off, it decides what it informs what we decide to take on, it informs every single part of this. Now let me clarify this before we get into the weeds of this, because I think it's really easy to read this passage in 1 John about the world and see this as a conversation around about the physical world that we live in or about people. See, because when, when, when John says this, when he says, do not love the world or anything in the world, that's a really hard statement to follow, right? Because it's like, well, the chair that you're sitting on is in the world, right? The stage that I'm on, the lights that are on are in the world. Am I supposed to hate the chair? Am I supposed to get in my car today and hate my car because it's in this world? Am I supposed to look at my children and say, I hate you? <laughs> because you're in this world and clearly I am not supposed to love anything in this world. <laughs> See, it's really easy to read this passage and think that this is about people or it's about things or it's about the physical world that we live in. I grew up in a world where, in a culture where there was such thing as worldly music and there was some music that was worldly and you don't listen to the worldly music because you only listen to the Christian music and I found myself feeling very guilty at night when I would sneak my Walkman under my bed and listen to K-Rock. <laughs> and when I was really, really rebellious, I'd put on some Nirvana, man. <laughs> and then I would listen to, to worldly music, right? I grew up in a culture where Halloween was worldly because we needed a safe alternative to children collecting Reese's peanut butter cups, right? And, and it, it, here's the thing. <laughs> it's not inherently, uh, if it's not inherently connected to religion in many contexts, it's considered worldly. And so there's this space where it's like, here's the worldly things and here's all the things that the church does and they're separate from one another. And this is where you get things like SNL's church lady where everything is maybe Satan, right? <laughs> in the middle of this. See, here's the thing. Jesus actually says that the physical world around us is inherently good. When he creates the world, he says everything was good. He created the ocean and the birds and the trees. And he said, oh, it's so good. And he created, he created the plants and he created animals and animals on the land, animals in the air, animals in the sea. And he said, oh, it's so good. And he created the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky. He says, it is good. Jesus actually took on a physical body. And when he died, he returned to it because there was something good about it. I, I love the world in which we live. I love beautiful experiences. I'm, I'm a bit of a hedonist when it comes to just experiencing everything that is around me in our physical world. I love moments on the beach at night. I love moments in the mountains. I love moments with good friends. I love having a good meal with people around me. I love experiencing everything that is in this world. And so when, when, when John tells us, do not love the world or anything in it, He's actually not talking about people. He's not necessarily talking about things in the middle of this because Paul later goes on to say that our resistance is not against flesh and blood. So this isn't a conversation about worldly people. This isn't a conversation even about worldly things. 
Really, what John's talking about here is a counter-movement to the default spirit, attitude, and movement of the world around us. It's a counter-movement to a flow that we find ourselves in here and now. And John actually tells us what the default flow of this world is that we are to not love, that we are to resist, that we are to reject at all costs. And he tells us that there are three categories that he puts the flow of this world into. The first one, as he says, is that the flow of this world is categorized by the lust of our flesh, which is essentially this. If it feels good, do it. Now, you can probably look around at the world and go, oh yeah, I can see that attitude, right? That, that if it feels good to me, then I should do it. And it is a flow that is dominated by our senses, that if it feels good in any way, shape, or form to my five senses, then I should engage in it. And so oftentimes when we bring up lust of the flesh, obviously we immediately go to sex or we immediately go to food or we immediately go to, to media or we immediately go to the things that we should or shouldn't do. See, it's actually not that food is bad or that sex is bad or that media is bad in any way, shape, or form. It's just that all of those things were designed for a very specific context. And outside of that context, we, our desires are overridden by them. That, that our natural ca calling into what Christ is calling us into, what Jesus is moving us into, get overridden by all of the senses with those things. And we find ourselves, rather than being willing to make choices and able to step into the truth and able to rein in our passions and able to come into the light, we find ourselves being overridden by what feels good in the moment. And those things now become a vice rather than a gift when outside of the context that they were designed for. So he says the first flow that this world offers us is the lust of the flesh. But then he offers us this second flow that we find ourselves in the world. And he says, it's the lust of the eyes, which this says, if it looks good, get it. Right. Tell, me, tell me you've experienced that, right? Like, if it looks good, then I, I'm going to get it. Now, now, here's the thing. People oftentimes talk about this flow and think that it immediately has to do with money. Like, it must have to do with money. Like, if there's that nice car that I want, I'm going to buy it. If there's that nice house, I'm going to buy it. If there's that thing, I'm going to buy it. But here's the thing. Here's what I found is that people don't go into debt because they, not because they don't know how to do math, right? Yeah, that's right. People, people don't go into math. People generally don't go into debt because they're like, oh man, I didn't add right, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, I forgot to carry the three, right? I mean, let's be honest. How many of you have ever made a purchase that while you're sticking your card in the machine, you're going, the math does not compute on this? I know that when I look at my bank account tomorrow, the math is not going to compute, right? That was not a math problem in that moment. <laughs> that was not adding or subtracting or a division issue in that moment. It's because there's an attitude that comes with that that says, I deserve this. And I deserve it no matter what the math tells me. <laughs> I deserve it no matter what agreements I've made with my wife or my husband or the bank or my credit card company. I deserve this. And really when we're talking about the lust of the eyes, it's a flow that says, I deserve this. Because I've worked so hard or because you don't know who I am or because I've given my time or because I'm gonna stick it to the man. 
But it also comes with wanting what other people have. That if they have it, I should have it. That if they're capable of having it, then I should have it. And then it actually turns into wanting the people that other people have. And wanting other people because they look good. Because they're gonna make me look good. Whether that's in a relationship or work or friendship. So it's a conversation, it's a flow that says, I deserve this and this is gonna make me look good in the middle of this. So this flow is really about this conversation of what's gonna make me feel good and what's gonna make me look good in the moment. And if it looks good, I deserve it and I need to feel good. And this last part of the flow that John says is in the flow of this world, the default that we are born into is the pride of life. And this is essentially this, it's my life and I do what I want. Come on, let's be honest. How many of you found yourself in that flow before, right? It's my life. I get to make, I'm a big boy, right? (laughs) I'm a big girl. I get to make my own decisions. No one's gonna tell me what to do. No one's gonna tell me how to live my life. In fact, it's abusive to even suggest that I restrict myself in some way, shape, or form. It is abusive if you inform me that I should or shouldn't do this thing because I feel like it. Which actually, this way of living works until it doesn't. And then when our life falls apart, we start blaming other people. Well, they, didn't, they weren't there for me when my life fell apart and they should have told me and they saw this coming and they didn't say anything and they weren't there to support me when my life fell apart or they're just judging me because they're trying to tell me what to do over there. It's interesting that in all of these, we become God and people become tools. That we become God And people become resources that we get to take from because it feels good or it looks good or it gives me power in the moment. And so God and people become tools for pleasure, comfort, and power. Now look, I probably don't have to do a whole hermeneutics around the the spirit and attitude and culture of the flow of this world to prove this true. You could probably just look around the world around us and say, yep, that's pretty true. That our drive is towards comfort. Our drive is toward pleasure. Our drive is towards power. And this is the system that we swim in. See, this flow has been around from the beginning. This isn't anything new. You know, it's funny because I think people get nervous, like, like, oh no, the world's getting crazy, right? Things are getting crazy. Politics are getting crazy. People are getting crazy. The world around us is getting crazy. Nothing, it's been around, folks, right? Right? I mean, let's just go back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter three, can't get any further back than that. God creates humanity and, and God puts them in this garden. He says, don't eat of this fruit over here. Eat whatever you want, do whatever you want, just don't eat this. And then this is what happens in Genesis three. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but did but." God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and she ate and he ate it. Then the eyes were both open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. If it feels good, do it. And then she saw, oh, this is pleasing to the eye. If it looks good, get it. Oh, and it's also desirable for gaining wisdom. It's my life and I will be God. See, this is an old song. It's an old tale from way back when. And we're immersed in it. It's just all around us, swirling around us, flowing around us. The problem half the time is that we are completely unaware of it. We're unaware that this is the flow we find ourselves in. It's constant, it's everywhere, it's moving all around us. And here's the thing, is that it keeps us enslaved when we're unwilling to just notice it and examine. Because here's the problem, when we find ourselves in this flow of needing to have it if it looks good, of needing to engage it if it feels good, and it's my life and I'm gonna do what I want, there is always more to get more comfort. There's always something more we have to do to get more pleasure. There's always more wealth. There's always more power to obtain. There's always more influence to have. There's always more to experience. And it never actually ends or satisfied because there is always a thirst for more in it. Now, here's the thing. Is that we as human beings are always in motion. Of course, We're always in motion physically, but we're always also in motion spiritually. We're always in some flow. So the question that you have to ask yourself is, what flow are you in? What's moving your life? What is your default? I grew up going to Huntington Beach a lot. We've spent a lot of our summers there. And I remember as a kid, We would get out in the ocean. I love swimming in the ocean. We'd be out there for hours and hours and hours on end. And one thing that's like a little crazy about Huntington Beach is the currents. If you ever swam there, you know, they like have really strong currents. And I remember as a kid, uh, my parents didn't feel the need to supervise us as children. That was 90s, right? Before we had like, before we had like helicopter parenting and attachment styles and stuff. It was just go swim, children, right? And, And so we would go swim. And here's what I found is that we'd be out in the ocean for an hour or two, and then we'd look up and we'd be way out and way far down the beach. In fact, we'd look up and be like, lifeguard tower two, we started at lifeguard tower 12, right? <laughs> because we would just be swimming and having fun and enjoying the day and we found ourselves drifting down the beach towards the end of where we weren't supposed to be. And I was a kid in that moment, without even realizing it, I had found myself drifting down the shoreline. See, here's the thing. When you start following Jesus, you become acutely aware that you are in the world's current and drifting down. You become acutely aware that there is something pulling you from lifeguard 12 to lifeguard two and that you are aware that suddenly there is a movement, a flow that is moving your life. And you wake up to the reality that this is around you all day, everywhere, every single day, every single moment, constantly pushing against your soul and its influence is pervasive. Everywhere we go, pushing against God's design for humanity, constantly moving us, or at least attempting to move us. But we don't ever really examine it, just like we don't ever examine the oxygen that we're breathing. I mean, how often do you think about the oxygen that you're breathing? Now you are, acutely, right? Now you're very aware of it. 
We just go all day just breathing, right? We don't think about it. That would actually be horrifying if we thought about it. Could you imagine all day long? Just, oh, we're still working? All right, oh, right? And in fact, once you become aware of it, now you're manually breathing because you're like, oh my gosh, I can't stop. Let's go back, right? And we just do it unquestioningly because it is the culture that we swim in. And in the same way, there is this current moving against your soul that is telling you if it looks good, do it. If it feels good, get it. If it's going to bring your power or fame or prestige, do it. It's your life. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. In fact, Ephesians, Paul in Ephesians tells us this. He says, in verses two, starting in verse one, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when the followers of the, when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. See, Paul actually says, it's in the air you breathe. It is all around you. You don't think about the air, you just breathe. You don't think about the flow of your soul. It's just constantly moving and forming you to a destination. And when you are, find yourself giving into the flow or not thinking about it or just going with the ways of the world, you will find yourself drifting and drifting and then you will find yourself one day going, how did I get here? How did my life get here? because I've been consuming and trying to get enough pleasure and trying to get more comfort and trying to get more power and then I find myself exploding and imploding because we weren't actually made for this. I love that, that Jesus, right before his death, he, he prays this really beautiful prayer for his followers and John, the same one who wrote this, captures it. In John chapter 17, verse 13, he, 13, he says, this is Jesus praying for us. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. See, John, very from the beginning, he's, he's obsessed with joy. He's just like, how can I get humanity to a place of joy and life? So he says, so that, my, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your, world, your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There's that truth test. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. You ever wonder like why God doesn't just zap us up into heaven when we follow him? That would be weird, first of all, right? First of all, we'd have a very small gathering here. And we'd probably have some very awkward moments during the end when I say, if you haven't followed Jesus, would you like to do that now? And then you say amen, and all of a sudden, people are just zapping out of here. People probably would not come back, right? We would have a very big PR problem here. But why does he leave us here? Well, why doesn't he just say, great, you're following me, let's go. Let's, get, let's just cut to the chase, right? Let's just cut to the ending. See, because there's a very specific person, purpose why Jesus has you stay here. And he actually says it in here because you, when you follow Jesus, are called to be in this world and you are called to become a troublemaker. Yeah. That is your calling. You are called to become a troublemaker, a revolutionary, a radical against the flow of this world here and now. 
to disrupt these systems of this world that have enslaved humanity to our passions, that have enslaved us to our comfort, that have enslaved us to our need for power. We are those who swim against the current. And we are called to be those who are in the world, but we are not of the world. Those who are existing in the current, it's all around us. We recognize it. There it is, here it is, there it is on the TV, there it is all around me. But we are called to not be influenced or pulled by it. That we are called to be those who stand against the current in every situation we find ourselves in. Have you ever noticed that when you eat fish, you still have to put salt on it? It's kind of weird, right? I mean, fish that we eat usually exist in salt water their whole lives, right? Every fish that comes out of the ocean has existed in very, very salty water. And yet still, when you cut that thing open and when you put it on the grill or you bake it, you still need to put some type of seasoning on it. You don't eat it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so salty. It's been swimming in salt water its whole life, right? Because the fish, while it is in the ocean, its whole life is insulated from the salt water. It does not take it in. And it could be swimming surrounded by salt water its entire life and never, ever, ever actually have that come into their lives. Here's the crazy thing, is that even, even like, you know, sushi, we have to put it in soy sauce, which is filled with salt because those fish do not have any salt within them. In the same way, we are called to be in the world, to be existing in the salt water, the flow of this world, and have it not influence us. Now, at the end of the day, we can say, I've been in it. Yeah, I'm all, it's all around me. The flow is attempting to pull me towards pleasure. It's attempting to pull me towards comfort. It's attempting to pull me towards power. And I refuse to go with the flow. I refuse to move in the, insula- in the direction I am insulated from the flow around me. See, some of you are just like spiritual flounder, right? You just let the current take you wherever you go. You're just like existing in like a spiritual lazy river. And you're just like, oh, here I am. That feels good, let me do this, right? That looks good, I need some more of that, right? And then you're like, why am I so broke? <laughs> why am I so anxious? Well, why is my life falling apart? Why, why do I need more and more and more to get to me where I am? See, we're actually called to be spiritual salmon. Yeah. Salmon are just like, upriver, baby. They're like, there's a, there's a current, let's go up against it. There's a waterfall, I'll jump up that waterfall because you know why, they're going home. There's a destination that they're moving towards against the current upstream back to where they were actually designed to live in. And there's a way to be in this world and not of it or insulated from it. One of the things I have just accepted in my life and those who are closest to me will tell you it's the truth is that I have call, I've been called to be a disruptor. That's just a part, my wife says, "Mm mm-hmm, because she's always embarrassed by it, right? My wife's always telling me, please don't say that that loud, right? I just know that part of my calling in life is to be a disruptor of systems, and, and I have a very strong sense of justice, and I don't really care for tradition when it influences with other people, and I find myself very vocal about the things that I care about. And here's the crazy thing that I have tried to figure out for the last 39 years of my life is how to be a disruptor and have everyone like you at the exact same time. <laughs> Because I have this deep-seated need to be liked as well, right? I mean, I, I identify like with an Enneagram 7, and so I'm always like, how do I avoid pain and disrupt and become a revolutionary all at the same time? And it just doesn't work, right? I work really hard too, and it creates a lot of stress within me 
when God's like, you're supposed to say this and you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to engage in this conversation. And then I'm like, but I don't know how I can do that and be liked at the same time. Here's the thing. When you swim against the current, even if you just stand still in the current, you will disrupt. You will find yourself disrupting things around you. When you, when you find yourself saying, I refuse to be controlled by my urges, by my need for comfort, by my need for power, you will find yourself disrupting things around you. And let me just tell you, people generally do not like to be disrupted. The culture around us generally does not like to be disrupted. The world around us generally does not like to be disrupted. Now here's the thing. Jesus came and he had this message of love and forgiveness, and reconciliation, and joy, and the kingdom of light. And in the end, it led to his execution. Because people don't like the systems of this world being interrupted. They don't like being told, hey, you might want to forgive. You might want to release that for some joy. You might want to step into a place where you serve others around you. And let me just tell you, this is not exclusively for people who aren't believers, especially even for Christians. I can't tell you the crazy stories when we moved from Chino to Pomona, how many people said, I don't really want to be here because there's too many Mexicans, homeless people, and gays. And I was like, wow, I can't imagine another place where Jesus would want to be than here. I can't imagine another place where Jesus would set up camp. And Jesus says this, I have given them my word and the world hates them because they are not of this world, because they refused to move with the flow of the systems and they caused trouble when they decided to even stand still, let alone go against the flow. See, be careful that your need to be liked doesn't overpower your willingness to flow differently. Be careful that your need for acceptance doesn't get in the way of your willingness to flow upstream into the things of God against the things of this world. So you may find yourself floating in the lazy river of this world, but losing your life in the end of it. And here's the thing. Let me be very clear about this. You do not have to go looking for a fight. This is not a call to go pick a fight. In fact, Jesus was extremely confrontational, but he actually never picked a fight unless it was one of his brothers and sisters or in his own house. He didn't go to the government and pick a fight. He didn't go anywhere else and pick a fight. He was like, I will pick a fight with the people who are in my home and the people that follow me. People always love to use flipping over the tables. Well, Jesus went in, he flipped over the tables. That was his house, right? He didn't go into someone else's house and flip the tables over like, you shouldn't have tables here. He was like, oh, this is my house. I'm redecorating my house, right? <laughs> so here's the thing. Jesus didn't go like looking for a fight. He didn't go picking a fight. But the fight naturally came when he stood against the current in the middle of this. It naturally comes when you stand against the flow of this world. And here's the thing. Some people take this as like orders to go create chaos in the world. And usually it's involving a comment section on social media because they're fighting against the powers of this world, right? 
And then they cry persecution in the middle of this. And in those people, if that's you, I'm just gonna tell you up front, you are not hated because you're swimming against the current. You are hated because you're contemptuous and arrogant. Yes. 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 So how do we step out of this flow, out of this current, and into life? How do we assure the flow that we find ourselves in? Glad you asked. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by, here we go, renewing your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We, by renewing our minds are able to get out of the default flow of this world and stand and move into a new flow that God is calling us into. And notice that it says that we are called into the act of renewing our minds, which is different from just renew your mind. This is a daily discipline. Because here's the thing, you and I are swimming in this current of this world. It is constantly moving us, it is constantly hitting us, it is constantly flowing with us, like the currents of Huntington Beach, it is always there attempting to move you downstream. And so this is not a one and done process of like, my mind is renewed, right? This is a daily, where am I finding myself giving into pleasure? Where am I finding myself giving into comfort? Where am I finding myself unwilling to resist and give up my own need for control? Where am I unwilling to step into the truth? Where am I unwilling to, re- to re-harness my passions towards the things of this life? Where am I giving into my own personal comforts in the middle of this? And it is a constant renewal and we take the words of God and we stand firm in that flow over and over and over and over again. And this is what we are called to do if we are going to be those who stand against the flow and enter this new flow state that God calls us into. And then Paul tells us what this flow state looks like, this new flow state that he calls us into. Right after this, in Romans 12, 9, he says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be proud but be willing to be associated with people in low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay evil, anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if that's not counter to the flow of this world, I don't know what is, right? I don't, I, I don't know what possibly could be. Because when you look at this, it flows very contrary to the flow of this world. See, because we are called to honor others above yourself, 
course, unless it infringes on your own personal happiness, then don't worry about it. Be patient in your affliction and your suffering. But if it doesn't happen now, then wallow in your suffering, post about it on Instagram, and then blame other people for it. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality, but make sure that you get yours. I mean, don't go too crazy, right? Because you deserve it. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them unless they are toxic and then cut them off. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. But if it doesn't feel good, don't sacrifice your own happiness. Don't sacrifice your own comfort. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position unless you need to climb the ladder as quickly as possible. Do not repay evil for evil unless they are your political opponent. And then, of course, do whatever you need to do. Live at peace for everyone. Do not take revenge or riot and burn the city down. Feed your hungry enemies unless it messes with your self-care, then crush them. See, these run counter to every single instinct that the scriptures call us into. It is a different way of being. This is the flow of the kingdom of God. And it starts with this one important message Love must be sincere. Jesus' flow against the current of this world was love. See, it would then make sense that we are called to engage the exact same countercultural ways in love. See, this is how we are called to flow in love. And in that, we transform everything around us in the world. See, do I love God and others in a way that causes me to stand in love for others? Because the drift, the drift of this world will kill you. It will lead to death in the end. But our love, our love points a new way for others to find life. And yes, as you radically love, some will hate you. Some will. Because they're like, wait, This isn't how it's supposed to be. Don't go against the game. Don't mess up the flow. Don't mess up the status quo. But the second that you step into it, yes, some people will hate you. But here's the thing. Those who are willing and ready, they will be awakened to the flow that they're in and decide to flow upstream with you. Your life of love, a countercultural revolution stand against the flow of this world is an invitation for those who are willing and ready to hear, to be awakened to the new thing God is doing and the destination that is taking them to, and it alters us and them forever. See, here's the thing. There is no neutral flow in life. It'd be nice if there was, but nothing is ever neutral in this life. You are always in some flow. You are always in some movement. You are always in some current. In fact, fish, if they ever stop moving, they die because their oxygen levels drop. And so fish are constantly in movement in some way, shape, or form. So the question that you have to ask is not, am I going to be neutral or am I going to stand still or where am I moving? The question that you have to ask yourself is, will you remain controlled, enslaved to the default flow of this world? because it will always lead to powerlessness and death, a constant striving for more? Or will you stand in the flow of this kingdom that runs contrary to the ways of this world to remain 
immovable in love. And in that, we create a new way of being people. And in that, our joy may be complete and our life and love may be abundant. The question is yours as to which flow you choose to step into today. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you showed us this new flow, this new way of being in this world. God, that, that it runs so counter to the, to the movement, to the current that is constantly pushing up against us, that is constantly moving us, that is constantly desired to move us towards death and towards hopelessness, towards being overcome by our pleasures and our comforts and our need for power. I thank you that you have created a new way, a new flow that is of this kingdom. Jesus, may we be courageous enough to be those who stand against the flow of this world and step into the life you've called us to. That we may be countercultural troublemakers, revolutionaries, radicals with love. God, and we know that we may be hated for that, but we ask for those who are, who are listening and waiting for the signs of what it looks like to step into love, that we might be a beacon of hope for those who are ready. We thank you. And this morning, if you're here, if you're online and you've not yet stepped into the flow of Jesus, you've not stepped into your connection with him, today's your day to step into his, his flow of love that he wants to move you into a radical new space, a radical new way of living. So if that's you here today, or if you're online, this is your moment. It's nothing really magical. It's just you deciding that you're gonna follow him. So if you're here, you can just look up at me. If you're like, that's you, I'm ready to step into this new flow. If you're online, you can just click that button that says, today I follow Jesus. Or if you're on YouTube, you can just put Jesus in the comments. I just want you to pray this prayer with me. It's not magical. Just say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I'm broken and I make you Lord. I know that you died for me and you came back to life. And I ask that you would help me step into your flow of love and out of the flow of this world. I'm so grateful for who you are. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.